1: Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke podcast. I'm your host for the day, Holt. Alex uh, cannot be with us, um, but I am joined by the one and only JB. JB, how's it going? I'm pretty well, Holt. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Um, You know, we've been slacking on our podcast lately, and uh, it's been kind of just a whirlwind of just bad timing and technical issues and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, we're here today, and that's all that matters. We
2: have been. I mean, yeah, I mean, you've been... uh... You know, away visiting with family and then I've been going through a job change and then Alex has got, you know, some technical issues that he has in Atlanta. So, I mean, it just, the logistics haven't really worked out, you know, for us to uh, record like the last few weeks like we normally had, but hopefully, uh, you know, tonight I think this will be a start of a new string and routine of doing the podcast regularly again.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, um, you know, we've gotten all the emails, all the tweets, everyone's been asking when's the Slow Smoke podcast coming back you know how come it hasn't been uh hasn't been on but i think we got some things figured out now so um we will continue to uh record on a bi- you know twice a week basis i almost said biweekly but i guess it's yeah. i guess that'd be once every 2 weeks but no twice a week um and uh you'll get to hear our dogs in the background uh play with each other um uh, and all of that in our subpar football takes and our above average i would say food takes and uh, that's actually kind of where I want to start off, JB. You alluded to my travels recently. Yes. And um, yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I I want to hear about your experience in New Orleans, and I want, but the first thing I want to know is, are the beignets worth the hype, and is it worth really going to Cafe du Monde?
1: No, Cafe Dumont was definitely overrated. I mean, I kind of figured that it would be just because it's just very touristy. Um, you know, it's kind of like in the middle of everything. So I guess, you know, it it is very crowded. We had to wait in line for a really long time and, you know, they weren't like expensive or anything, but it was just, it was basically just like a donut. I mean, type thing. It really wasn't anything special. The coffee wasn't like amazing or whatever, but, you know, I just wanted to do it. Just say I did it. You know, I'm a tourist. So, you know, I had to, I'd never been to New Orleans before. That was my first time. And, um,
2: did it smell bad?
1: You know, I didn't notice the smell but I don't think I'm really too sensitive to it. I know a lot of people talk about New Orleans. Probably worse in
2: the summertime.
1: But yeah, I didn't really uh, notice it, but, uh, I will say the food there was pretty spectacular. Um, you know, the, um, the beignets or whatever, you know, obviously, I mean, they weren't bad or anything. I mean, they just weren't, you know, like I wouldn't consider that like a must do. I think it's just sort of like a New Orleans thing. So people, you know, feel like they have to do it. But, uh, there were definitely some very quality meals while I was down there. Um, you know, just I, I mean, I won't go through like everything I ate while I was there, but um, I did hit up Parkway, which is the um, the famous po' boy place. Um, that's you know, I believe been on like a bunch of shows and stuff like that, and uh, definitely had a very very outstanding po' boy. Um, the one I got was the it's they call it the James Brown. And it won uh, the the New Orleans Po' Boy Festival back in 2018. And it is fried shrimp, pulled pork, um, pepper jack cheese, crystal hot sauce, and mayo. And man, it, that is one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. That, I very highly recommend um, the James Brown at Parkway in New Orleans. Um, if any of our listeners ever find their way down there, um, definitely highly recommend that place. That it's probably the, the main place for... Um, po' boys. That's where all the locals eat. That is the spot. Um, and then also ate at another restaurant called uh, Giacomo's that was um also very outstanding. My favorite thing there was the uh, shrimp and alligator sausage cheesecake. Um, that wow. I got for that was actually it's actually an appetizer. Um, and that was one of the best things I've ever eaten. It, it comes out. They bring it. They slice it up like uh you know it's like cheesecake, and um you know so you get like a little pie piece or something. And, uh, I could have probably eaten like six of those, honestly. I mean, it was so good. The entrees were good too. Um, I got the, um, the grouper. It was, it was good, but not like amazing. Um, the person I was with got, um, shrimp etouffee and I got to have some of hers and that was really good. Um, so those are just the two places I want to point out. I mean, there were some other places we went to as well. Um, I'm sure, you know, you can't really get the full New Orleans experience in, you know, one weekend, um. But uh, you know, those are just the two places that really stood out to me that I ate at while we were there. And um definitely really excited too. I get back down there one day. Um I don't know why I've never been to New Orleans before. It's not like it's far from me or anything like that. I just for some reason I just never had happened before. So glad to say I did it. Um there's some good people down there. There were some, you know, there's a lot of homeless people too. So, you know, it's a it's a cool place. Um definitely recommend checking it out. Um if you ever you know want to check out new orleans
2: yeah there's a fried chicken place that i have heard is to die for in new orleans which is ironic because you know you don't think about fried chicken but with new orleans but that i don't—I forgot the name of it but it's like a hole in the wall and it's run by the same woman that's been running it i think for like maybe 50 60 years i don't know even know if it's still open uh, i remember it was heavily damaged by hurricane katrina but maybe someone that listens to this podcast can point that out to us
1: yeah i you know just like i said it there's so much famous food in New Orleans, it's impossible to hit up uh, everything while you're there. Um, but that being said, um, we've we've completed our food portion of the podcast, and now we can kind of get into some football. So, you know, obviously, we haven't been recording as much recently, so we haven't really been able to give our thoughts on all the teams. So um, I think we're just going to kind of like run through, um, you know, all the SEC teams real quick. Not We're not going to take too much time doing this. Um, just kind of give like some thoughts on like where the teams are at um you know obviously you know if you listen to this podcast you know we don't really spend a lot of time talking about like Alabama and Georgia just because like like yeah they're good whatever like you know we're not going to say anything like you haven't heard before like Mac Jones is good you know Devontae Smith is good Najee Harris is good like Georgia's defense is awesome (laughs) like I mean I just feel like you get enough of that anywhere else you may listen to podcasts so I'd like to focus a little bit more on like the lower teams in the conference um and we'll just start off with um with Arkansas real quick I think they've probably been the biggest surprise this season um you know, Sam Pittman's really turned things around quick. Uh, what's kind of stood out to you about Arkansas, and wh- why do you think they've been able to turn this corner this year?
2: I mean, to me, it's it's the defense, man. Like, I mean, they, you, we have to remember, like, I mean, Chad Morris, like, he was in, he was only like maybe thirty percent, you know, as far as like installing his offense, as he would say. I mean, probably if he was still coaching this year, the offense would be fifty percent installed. Yeah. But it, as bad as the offense was, the defense was just as horrendous, if not worse uh the the last two years with uh, Chad Morris, and then the the job that Barry Odom has done as defensive coordinator has been nothing short of remarkable. I mean that that defense is, you know, really playing well. I mean Hudson Clark walk on. I mean the next Brandon Burlesworth as far as like you know star in the making as a walk on at, at Arkansas, uh, carrying on that legacy. I mean it's, to me, it's a defense that really stands out. But also I love the way that Sam Pittman has run his his uh coaching staff. And he's allowing Barry Odom and Kendall Briles have free reign in how they want to implement their philosophies. And to me, that's that's great for Sam Pittman too, because you know he's taking on the CEO approaches, what which I alluded to in the preseason, and he's having instant success, which you know I was not really expecting, but it's a pleasant surprise for sure.
1: Yeah, and they 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 sit at two and two right now. You could definitely argue they should be three and one. Um, you know, with that. Obviously, really bad spike. Should have been a bowl in the Auburn game. Um, but uh, definitely really impressive, um, you know, by Sam Pittman. It seems like the team's really playing hard for him. But I think Barry Odom has probably been, you know, the biggest um, reason for that. Um, you know, the, obviously, they had a lot of success uh, against Mississippi State. Um, that was their first conference win um, with the rushing three and dropping eight. And they kind of continued that um, against Ole Miss as well. And we're really able to force some turnovers and, um, you know, being able to get pressure with three and being able to drop eight is, you know, I mean, that's going to work on against pretty much anyone. So, uh, the fact that they're able to do that has been really impressive. Um, they're able to force turnovers and, you know, they were able to get wins in both of those games. Um, and then, you know, just like I said, had a good comeback in the Auburn game, should have won it, um, kind of got stolen from them there, but you know, that's just, that's just Auburn for you. Um, but, yeah, definitely really surprised with Arkansas here. You know, Rakeem Boyd hasn't even been, like, a big part of the team. I mean, he's been banged up. And, uh, you know, it's just – it's crazy to think that, like, they've been so – they've done so well with uh, without him, you know, which he was kind of considered to be their best player coming into the season. Um, But – and then we'll just go ahead and jump to the team they're playing this week so we can kind of get, like, a little – we'll throw in, like, a little bit of a preview as well um, in this same segment. But uh, Texas A&M, um, you know, obviously – Coming into the season, we were very, you know, I was very high on them. Um, I think, you know, you were to maybe a little bit of a lesser extent. Um, And I think after that Alabama game, most people were kind of like, all right, like, this is just the same old Texas A&M. They're just just average, slightly above average, but, like, nothing more than that. Um, And then, you know, they turn around they get a big win against Florida at home on a last-minute field goal. Um, And I think it's – the story's kind of changed or the perception's changed a little bit on Texas A&M. Where do you feel like Texas A&M is at right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, A&M is an absolute awesome position because if you look at the remaining schedule, uh, they're favored. They're likely favored to win every single game uh, the rest of the way. And to be quite honest, that is the best position you can be in because they have a chance to run the table, finish out 9-1, and and have a shot to make the playoff without even having to play the game in Atlanta. I mean, you could not ask for to be in a better position than what A&M is in right now. Not saying that they're going to run the table, but, I mean, there's not a game on the schedule where I can say that A&M is going to lose this game. Like, I I would say they have more than a 50-50 shot to win to win each of the games that they have left on their schedule. And if they, you know, prevail and, and win out, then there's a good chance they are going to go to the college football playoff. I mean, that to me is a really awesome... Uh, opportunity for Jimbo Fisher and this football
1: team. Yeah. But I mean, uh, looking at it from the other angle as well, you know, you said there isn't really a game that you look at and you think that, like other you know, they would, wouldn't be favored in that game. You know, there isn't really a game that you look at on their schedule either and you would be like surprised if they lost. You know what I mean? So yeah. out of the six games left, like yeah, they're gonna be favored in all of them, but none of them are like slam dunk oh yeah, they're definitely going to win that game. I mean I think even this week, you know, they are a um, you know twelve point favorite over Arkansas. But this game has been a close game every year, even um, the
2: last last yeah last year too. Yeah,
1: even when Arkansas has been at its worst, um, they still managed to play Texas A&M pretty tough. So this line is a little bit you know, I guess large for me. Um, I think
2: it is too.
1: But uh, you know, we'll we'll save our our picks for you know the end of the show. But definitely think that uh, you know. This this has been a close game, and this actually is the first time this played on campus. It has been played at Jerry's World, you know, every other time since Texas joined the conference. Um, so just something to, to keep an eye on there. Um, I don't know if that, what that will change, um, if anything. Um, and then uh, let's just go ahead and jump into uh, Ole Miss. So, um, you know, Ole Miss... They're 1-4 right now, but it feels like they've been better than that, I guess just because they played Alabama and Florida. I mean, they didn't play Florida super close, but they, they definitely you know, made Florida sweat a little bit. Um, they had a really good game against Alabama, even though they ended up losing. Um, and I think that's kind of where that's coming from. But do, do you kind of get the sense that Ole Miss is, you know, I guess overachieved to this point or that they've, you know, played well?
2: I mean, you can definitely tell that there's improvement on this Ole Miss team compared, relatively, to last year's team. I mean, the wins are definitely haven't been there, but I mean, they should have had this win last week against Auburn. You know, if it wasn't, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I'd say that, but there was definitely a questionable uh, call that uh, went Auburn's way that was really a seven point swing that could have given Ole Miss, you know, a. A touchdown lead with just a couple minutes, you know, a few minutes to go in the game. But I mean, their offense is phenomenal. It's just their defense is just way worse than how good their offense is. I mean, their defense is allowing more yards than Ole Miss's offense is getting themselves, and that that's just a terrible recipe. I think it's like maybe like five sixty-five to five ninety-five, some sort of ratio like that. And when you when you're doing that, like it can go either way. You could be four and one, or you could be one and four. But you know, Ole Miss like if they can just shore up their defense in the next couple of years, I really think that uh, Lane Kiffin's going to have the ball rolling there. I mean, the hiring of Jeff Levy as offensive coordinator has been a really great hire for him. So now you're combining two offensive minds with you know two various philosophies with Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy. And if you remember, uh, Jeff Levy was the offensive coordinator the last couple of years with UCF under Josh Heupel, which is a you know high octane up up tempo attack that you know really spreads the field and that's the kind of offense that Lane Kiffin wanted to bring to Ole Miss and we've already seen it so far have some a lot of success in the SEC and I think that Ole Miss is destined to be a really good team offensively for the foreseeable future the question is can they get the talent in on defense to uh you know at least become you know reasonably you know decent you know to compete in the SEC
1: Right. And I mean I think DJ Durkin is um a guy that, you know, has definitely has a proven track record of having good defenses. Um but I just think the talent there is just non existent. I mean Sam Williams, the defensive end, is is a solid player. You know, the um the linebacker, I just totally drew blank on his name, um, is a solid player as well. But, you know, aside from that, they're just they're just not very talented. I mean, plain and simple. I mean there really isn't any sugarcoating it. They just I mean, ever since that 2014 team, they've just been a disaster on defense, and, um, you know, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure, you know, I mean, I guess it's just recruiting and just bad development, Uh, but it's definitely, you know, been like a culture there um, since that, you know, I guess 2014-2015 run that they had, and they've just been atrocious on defense ever since. Um, But that being said, I mean, Lane Kiffin's definitely brought a lot of excitement, and You know, something that Ole Miss fans can look forward to. Matt Corral has put up some big numbers, but he's really struggled the last couple games. Um, You know, they did have to bench him for Plumlee, um, you know, for a little bit. But, you know, Plumlee hasn't really been able to find a groove in this offense. So I think, you know, Corral's still going to be the guy going forward, but he definitely needs to cut down on the uh, turnovers. and uh we'll just go ahead and move into Vanderbilt. Um there really hasn't been a lot to say about Vanderbilt. Um I guess their last game got canceled because of COVID if, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, they're 0 and 3 right now. Um they played Texas and m out the first week. Um but, you know, ha- have not been able to get a a win to this point. Is anything really stood out to you about Vanderbilt or are they just they just bad?
2: I mean, they're bad. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, you know, they played A&M close, but ever since then, I mean, they haven't impressed whatsoever. I mean, they got blown up LSU, and uh, they got, they, uh, you know, after that, uh, sorry, I went drew a blank there. But I mean, the, big, the funniest thing I heard uh, this week was uh, with Derek Mason when he referred to Ole Miss as eye candy, and it's not the kind of eye candy that we think it is he's referencing uh, the Ole Miss offense about how good it is and that they can't get wowed by it. And, I mean, that's a, a, quite a compliment from Derek Mason to, uh, you know, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin and, and the progress that they made there, even despite the 1-4 record. But, I mean, if you're, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, I mean, you just have to be patient. I mean, I feel bad having to tell, tell Vanderbilt fans this, but, I mean, you're not, they're not going to be successful every year. They're not going to compete for bowls every year. You just have to hope that uh, you get one really good class that, you know, really gels together, grows together, and gets you to, like, six or seven wins, you know, every four or five years. So that's really just the standard of Vanderbilt. It's just, it's just hard to compete there. I mean, they don't put a lot of money into the program, and their academic standards are really difficult.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of challenges there, Vanderbilt. We talk about that a lot. And, um, you know... uh. A lot of people may think that we don't have Vanderbilt fans who listen to the podcast, but believe it or not, our highest-rated preview last year was actually the Vanderbilt preview. So uh, we definitely have some Vanderbilt fans. They do exist, believe it or not. We they
2: do, and that that's the thing about this podcast is that we do appeal to the schools that. I mean, that's that that's what we pride ourselves on. Our bread and butter is appealing to schools that may not get as much coverage as like the Alabamas and Georges of the world.
1: Yeah. Um. All right, so we'll just go ahead and move into the uh, Missouri Florida game. Um, you know, Missouri is sitting two two right now. Florida two and one, coming off the Texas A and M loss, um, and obviously their last game got canceled because, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you really just can't make it up. The whole thing with Dan Mullen and making the comment about wanting to pack the swamp. And then it turns out that the whole, the whole team, including him have COVID. So much
2: irony. Man. <laughs> he,
1: like I don't watch, uh, I don't enjoy watching CNN too often, but I definitely did enjoy them railing on damn one just a little bit. Um, just what, what like awful timing. And, uh, uh, To to make a comment like that that's just I mean, as as a Mississippi State fan I I did enjoy that just a little bit It
2: really was, I mean, it's poor timing Because, you know, the whole team Ends up ironically catching COVID Along with Dan Mullen And also comes uh, after, you know They had that upset loss against A&M And they're looking to rebound the following week against LSU And instead, the game ends up being cancelled And I believe, you know uh, Before Florida plays this week uh, They're going on a Three-week layoff which is which is a really long time, you know, for anybody to uh, come back and play. And you know, I mean, they're hosting a Missouri team, which you know has been kind of surprising to me as well. But I mean, we'll we'll dive into Missouri in a little bit. But I mean, I really love this Florida offense. I mean, we I have, we haven't seen him in a few weeks, but I mean, Kyle Trask has been phenomenal this season. I mean, he's had complete command of the offense. I mean, everyone's been talking about Mac Jones, but we can't forget about Kyle Trask either. I mean. Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, to me, are still neck and neck as far as production and value to each of their teams. Yeah, and, um, you know,
1: that being said with, uh, you know, we gave a little update on Florida there. I mean, I I think the probably the biggest concern for me is the defense. Um, I don't know if you follow SEC stat on Twitter. I, I recommend everybody does. But they had a stat talking about Florida's last in the conference and missed tackles. Um, just very, very um, – very bad season so far for the Florida defense. <laughs> um, you know, the defense was the main reason why they lost that A&M game. Um, they just couldn't get any stops. And, um, obviously, that fumble at the end is, is really what killed them. But, um, you know, Kyle Trask is definitely up there with the best quarterbacks in the conference. And, um, you know, switching over to Missouri a little bit, they've kind of found their stride a little bit. I think the first couple of weeks they were just abysmal on offense. You know, obviously. Ever since they
2: made the quarterback change. Yeah.
1: And, I mean, Alabama took care of them pretty easily. Um, Tennessee, um, you know, Tennessee's defense didn't really seem to have too much problem stopping them. They do switch to, um, is it bla- like Blaze like like Yeah, yeah. so he's, he's definitely turned some things around. Um, you know, they were able to beat LSU, um, and then last week, a great performance against Kentucky. Um, so, you know, they definitely turned some things around a little bit. Um, you know, so it's good to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep it up throughout the season or – um, kind of what changes uh, going forward what what else has stood out to you about Missouri besides the quarterback change I mean
2: you got to think about going to that game against LSU I mean you got to think about the goal line stand I mean they had LSU down at the goal line on first and goal with you know the clock you know ticking down and on four consecutive plays they were able to hold off LSU you know the the best offense in the country last year arguably the best offense in the country last year or not not it was the best offense in the country last year, but also arguably the best offense in history. The very next year they they a weakened team but still able to get a goal line stand. I mean, that was incredible to me. And in this season in general in the SEC, I mean I guess we all I guess we all expected it. We've seen a lot of games where we're just like, what the hell? You know, with some teams beating teams that we didn't expect it, and then teams, you know, playing poorly against teams that we didn't expect. And Missouri beating LSU was a surprise. And that's why, I mean, I think that we can't discredit Missouri. I mean, I think that Missouri is going to play this game close against Florida. And, I mean, I think they're going to ride the momentum that they got from their win against LSU. And I think they're going to come out uh, playing really good. Because, I mean, you got to think about beating LSU and then beating a Kentucky team last week. That was on a, you know, euphoria after blowing out Tennessee and Oxville and getting that win. So, I mean, Missouri right now has got some momentum.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. And it'll be interesting to see if they can uh keep that up this week. Um against Florida, twelve and a half point underdog. And that game's on the SEC alternate, which is kinda of pissing me off that they're doing that, but it's okay. Um I mean I assume most people get that channel, but it's still just annoying that, that they I don't know. I don't know why they do it like that. But uh anyway, moving on to the team that's actually coming off a loss to Missouri. Um Kentucky, they they looked like they had really found their stride. Um, you know, they have a great back to back outstanding defensive performances against mississippi state and tennessee our two teams um you know i don't know if if we can have an argument over which one of our quarterbacks played worse against kentucky um but i think they had like (laughs) i mean i don't even did they have how many pick sixes did they have in like two games
2: i know they had two consecutive pick sixes against tennessee and uh i know they had definitely one against uh KJ yeah well they
1: they had one they had one pick six and then they had another one where they ran it all the way back to like the one yard line, so it was basically a pick six and They yeah. just scored on the next one I mean
2: Kentucky has you know made some big time you know breakout plays on defense, but as good as you know the breakout plays they've had on defense, their offense has been the exact opposite, you know, completely stagnant, being held to less than a hundred yards a game. I mean you got to think about it, I mean state spotted Kentucky points and then. Tennessee in their game against Kentucky, they, they were against Kentucky. Yeah, they spotted Kentucky seventeen points off turnovers alone, and I mean if you spot, I mean same thing with State Kentucky. I mean I guess we're talking about both teams here against Kentucky. They, when you spot teams points like that, it's hard to recover. And Kentucky's been able to capitalize on it by doing just enough on offense, you know, to win.
1: Yeah, and I mean their offense is basically just predicated on the you know running the ball, quarterback runs and um, not turning the ball over. And, you know, that was enough against Mississippi State and Tennessee because, you know, the opposing quarterbacks were just dreadful in both of those games. But, you know, you got to give Kentucky's defense some credit too. You know, they did play well. Um, you know, I know definitely in the, in the Mississippi State game, I thought that they had a really good game plan and um, they executed very well. Um, but that being said, you know, their offense was – abysmal against it was definitely abysmal against mississippi state and i think also in the first half against kentucky or against tennessee um i think the second half against tennessee tennessee was a little i don't know if they were they gave up yeah they gave up <laughs> a little bit and they kind of allowed kentucky to not not necessarily like run all over them but just kind of like get those five six yeah, yards every it was just, play. yeah and just casually just run the clock out um but, uh, you know, their their offense is definitely not anything special. And then once they played a team that wasn't going to turn the ball over and was content with getting four or five yards to play themselves, um, you know, they were really exploited. You know, I think Kentucky only ran like 36 plays last week.
2: Yeah, I mean, they were completely shut down. I mean, we can go ahead and just say, I mean, they were shut down against State. It's just State just couldn't generate anything on offense. And they were shut down, you know, last week against Missouri. I mean, even for the first half against Tennessee when Tennessee was playing motivated, uh, they were shut down as well. I mean, this, we, there's no ifs and buts about it. I mean, this Kentucky offense is one of the worst in the SEC and one of the worst in the country. Yeah, so, uh, you know, <laughs> nothing uh,
1: nothing to get you excited, like, uh, going up against the number one defense in the country this exactly. week. Exactly, <laughs> and maybe we'll get to see a little bit more of Gatewood. I mean,
2: there are, you know... Yeah,
1: well, I actually don't think Terry Wilson's playing. He's got a wrist injury. Yeah,
2: I'm saying, I think this is the time now to move on from Terry Wilson. You know, I gave a lot Terry Wilson a lot of credit. I really wanted to see him play this year, coming back from a horrific injury, but he just has not has had a good of a season. I mean, you can blame a lot of it on COVID, too, just... But I think Joey Gatewood, you know, it, he definitely deserves to get a chance, and he's going to definitely get it going against the best defense in the SEC this weekend.
1: Yeah, definitely, um, seventeen point underdogs to Georgia. Um, you know, again, we're going to save our picks for the lap, for the end, but I think that's pretty kind, honestly, especially considering the way Kentucky's played against Georgia the last few years. That's right. You know, they they've been competitive against most teams, but Georgia's kind of taken care of business against them. Um, so then we'll just go ahead and move on to. Uh, the CBS game this week, which is going to be LSU and Auburn, uh, two pretty disappointing teams. Um, I mean, it's crazy to think about that, even in this season, um, that LSU and Auburn are not even ranked. Um, just you know, considering I think both have been ranked in the top ten at some point this season. Um, I guess we'll start with Auburn. You know, they're three and two right now. You can make a really solid argument that they should be, yeah, you know, one and four right now. Uh, possibly even zero and five if you want to count the Kentucky game because there was a back call in that game as That's well.
2: That's
1: right, yeah. So the the officials have definitely been helping out Auburn. Um, <laughs> I, I, and, and it's also funny because you, part of me feels like that their fans, I don't know any Auburn fans, but I feel like <laughs> they probably want to lose these games so that they can just go ahead and fire Gus Malzahn. Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I, I mean if you're an Auburn fan, I mean, how frustrated can you be? I mean, I, I know that they're frustrated with Gus Malzahn, but Gus Malzahn, with the lucky golden horseshoe up his ass, does just enough to keep a job. And he's had, you know, a lot of these calls go his way. I mean, the horrific call against Arkansas, which is, by the way, the worst call I think I've ever seen by an SEC officiating crew in in all my years of watching SEC football. And that's probably, you know, 25 years almost that I've been watching SEC football, and that was horrific. I mean, Kentucky also had a – or, sorry, uh, Auburn had a, a bad call, you know, Against the Auburn, you know, in the opener that you know negated a touchdown, I believe. You're talking it, like Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, Kentucky had that bad call against Auburn in the opener, and then of course Auburn was able to get a call go their way against Ole Miss last week. I mean, they definitely had the help, but if you're if you're an Auburn fan, I mean, I I can understand you'd rather just lose a few games for the common good and have a new coach come in next year that can win with the you know the talent you already have on board, and I mean, I can understand that completely.
1: Yeah, and I mean, my we talked about this one. Me and Alex did one um, a couple weeks ago. But to me, what really stands out is just Gus Malzahn just can't develop a quarterback. And Bo Nix has not gotten any better this year. His pocket
2: presence is like non-existent. Um, and he only he only goes every single play that they run only goes through the first progression. He does not go through his progressions. No. And I think a lot of it is just taught to like. And every it seems like every other Auburn play I've noticed this year. Bo Nix is always scrambling out of the pocket, and it ends up just scrambling out of the pocket, throwing it to a diving receiver, and it ends up, you know, being incomplete. Yeah, and I mean, the
1: thing is, is like, you know, if you want to use his strengths like that, I mean, that's, you know, I understand, like, you know, he's athletic, and you want to run with him and get him outside the pocket and stuff like that, but these plays aren't even designed that way.
2: They're not. I mean, it's just, it's a bad offensive line and it's receivers not getting open, and it's it's in a quarterback that only tries to look at his first, you know, the first go-to receiver, and if that doesn't work, he panics and just scrambles outside of the pocket. And every single play ends up just being a, you know, throw into a diving receiver that ends up being incomplete.
1: Yeah, but, uh, you know, definitely, I mean, I think me and you both kind of thought that Auburn's going to take a step back this year because, you know, losing everything they lost on the offensive line, plus, you know, their entire defense pretty much from last year, um, that they relied on so much, um, you know, the only way that they were going to be good this year is if Bone actually took a drastic step forward, and that has not been the case at all. Nope. In um, fact, he may have been a little bit worse than he was at the end of last season. Um, but uh, we'll just go ahead and talk about LSU a little bit. Um, you know, we talked about their loss to Missouri, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, but I thought they bounced back and actually played really well against South Carolina last week. They did. They took care of business, even with the backup quarterback. Um, you know, they ran the ball really well. They were were really impressive last week against South Carolina.
2: They were. And, I mean, especially with all the freshmen they were playing, and they all looked really good. I mean, a lot of people were thinking that South Carolina could go into Baton Rouge and and steal a win. I mean, we can't forget about South Carolina either. They've they've been inconsistent, but I still believe this South Carolina team is better than last year. But as far as LSU, I mean, yeah, they've definitely taken more of a step back than I think I expected. But, I mean, they did look good last week against South Carolina, and they can build on this momentum going against a really inconsistent Auburn team, and I think they're definitely in position to uh, come away with a victory on the Plains this weekend. Yeah, and, um, you know,
1: th- that being said, I mean, we knew that LSU was going to take a step back this year. Um, you know, so many guys are getting their first starts, but it really – it. I mean, I don't want to say they turned a corner last week because South Carolina is – you know, it's not like they're a great team or anything, but – you know, South Carolina is is okay and um you know, I, I just thought that LSU really just dominating them like that was, was really impressive. Um so we'll we'll see if they're able to keep that up against Auburn. Uh three point favorite, you know, the two thirty C B S game. That's probably the most intriguing game of the weekend I would say in the SEC. Um and uh moving on, um believe the only game we've not talked about yet is uh Mississippi State and Alabama. So um we'll go ahead and get into that one. Um, you know, if, I'll just let you talk about Mississippi State for a minute, and then I'll just give my thoughts quickly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've noticed that there's been a mass exodus uh, coming up with Mike Leach's teams. And, you know, it, you can read it however you want. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, some people are saying that this is Mike Leach losing control of the team, or some are saying that you're if you want to look at it in a positive way, it's weeding out the players that aren't buying in and just trying to move forward after that. I mean, I I look at it the positive way in my that you're just weeding out the guys that aren't that haven't bought in, don't want to be there, don't want to play for the team, and having only positive vibes and and that's how I look at it. And I mean, we I know they had that opening win against LSU. I mean, KJ Costello throws for over 600 yards. Looks like they've really are going to take the SEC by storm. And after that, it's just been all downhill. But I still think that this state Mississippi State team can surprise some people. Uh, you know, this year with another, you know, one or two like really surprising mm-hmm. wins, but it definitely won't be this weekend against Alabama.
1: No, definitely not a uh, thirty and a half point underdog to Alabama this week. I I don't know um, if I can remember State being this big of an underdog, and they they've taken some bad teams to Tuscaloosa the last few years, um, specifically 2016, and I don't think they were even as big of an underdog then as they are now. Um my my I mean, you know, well we'll get into the game a little bit more later, but I mean my, my biggest thing about the game is like it's so obvious that Mississippi State can't block three, you know, three down linemen right now and you know and
2: you drop back in. Yeah, and like
1: you can drop back eight into zone. But like just knowing Nick Saban like and everything he does on defense like how difficult do you think it's going to be for him to just like rush three and drop eight every play like you know he you know he wants to play man coverage you know he wants rush to coverage, like he yeah. wants to like do all this stuff and i mean i'm sure that'll i mean honestly Alvin could probably do whatever they want and it's still going to work yeah but i just wonder if they're going to take that same strategy that everyone else has been doing or if they're just going to say like we're just going to play our defense and like see what happens i think they
2: just going to go into it and just play his defense i mean i could see them doing some instances where they'd rush three but I mean, the Saban defense has always been pressing and man coverage and bringing you know, a few guys, you know, blitz along with your defensive lineman. I mean, that's just been the Saban way it's been successful for over a decade. I don't see him changing.
1: No, definitely not. But I mean, it is just funny that like everyone has basically just adopted the same strategy playing against Mississippi state the last few weeks and Nick Saban, you know, I know he the knows, master. but at the same time, like, just like I said, I don't think it really matters what Alabama does. I mean, they're just going to win on talent alone, but, uh, you know, that, that being said, going back to Mississippi State and like the transfers, you know, I mean, I think some of it is just like a little bit overblown. I mean, uh, a lot of these guys are backups, um, especially two quarterbacks and Garrett Strader, who most will remember played last year, um, had moved to receiver and, you know, was having trouble cracking the rotation. I think he's only had like one catch so far this year. Um, and then Jalen in the backup quarterback uh, or third string quarterback. Um, so, I mean, not too surprising. I mean. You know, quarterbacks who don't have a clear path to to playing usually do end up transferring. Um it's just kind of like all oh, this is happening at the same time, so it, it seems really bad. And then, you know, Colin Hill um supposedly opting out, it's kind of been like a really weird situation because Colin Hill keeps acting like he hasn't like officially announced anything and uh Mike Leach has kind of like basically told the media that he's not playing again this year. So I kinda of wonder if there's like a uh I don't know like this is sort of like Mike Leach being like you know shit or get off the pot you know what I mean like I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna tell the media that you're leaving and that you know you know if you want to you know come back you're gonna have to like meet all my requirements and and you know something like that but I, I don't know so I, I personally don't expect Con Hill to play again but you know he's acting like maybe he's open to it so I, I don't know if you try to like pick up you know Kylan's mood off of Twitter like I mean you, you just never know like he's it's uh, kind of drama clean, honestly, yeah. But, uh, you know, that being said, obviously, that is a huge loss. I mean, he is their best player on offense. Even though he's a running back in an air raid offense, um, he's still their best player. And, I mean, That's right. um, you know, uh, they're definitely going to miss him for sure. Um, and then, you know, they they just they had a few other guys transfer um, this week. Um, you know, just like I said, I think the fact that it's all happening at once makes it seem worse than it is. And if there had been a spring practice, I think a lot of this would have already, you know, been taken care of, like, you know, during the spring and summertime. But unfortunately, since they didn't have that time, um, some of this stuff is happening in the middle of the season. So, you know, I mean, it, it sucks, definitely. It's definitely not a good look, but, you know, I still have faith that uh, Mike Leach is gonna get the offense turned around. Um, you know, he's been coaching for 20 years and has had great offenses everywhere he's been. Um, you know, I just think they're lacking a little bit of confidence, especially on the offensive line. And, uh, you know, I just don't think these guys were recruited to, you know, pass protect every play. You know what I mean? These are yeah. these are Dan Mullen recruits that are, you know, designed to run the ball and, um, you know, pass block on play action and stuff like that when the pass rush is able to be slowed down. So the fact that teams are able to just pin their ears back and come right at the quarterback every play, um, you know, I just don't know if they have that skill set. But, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see if they can kind of figure some things out throughout the season. Yeah. Um, And then defensively, they've actually been really good. I mean, part of that is because the offense has just been on the field all the time and then throwing pick sixes. So, um, you know, the defense hasn't really – I mean, number one, they haven't been on the field a ton, but they've played well when when they've been out. So um, that's been kind of a pleasant surprise. I think, you know, myself – a lot of people, myself included, expect Mississippi State's defense to be a real weakness this year. But statistically, they're number one in the conference right now. Um,
2: Surprising, but a pleasant surprise.
1: Yeah, but uh, that just goes to show you the defense doesn't really win anymore. It's really all about offense.
2: Yeah, it's an offensive-driven conference, and, and and not just a conference, but, I mean, all of college football, offense, elite offense beats elite defenses now. Yeah,
1: and then, you know, Alabama, obviously. Is, Alabama
2: over Georgia, that was the prime example, best offense versus best defense, and the best offense lit up the best defense.
1: Yeah, and we won't talk too much about Alabama, but obviously losing Jaden Waddle really sucks.
2: They'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, they will be
1: fine. They're, they are they're loaded at receiver, but I just really like watching Waddle play. He's so exciting. He is. Uh, I mean, he, he, he's one of the – like the just. I mean, I don't know if he's the fastest player I've ever seen, but he looks – like when he runs, he looks like the fastest. He does. It's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, I mean, just,
2: Waddle's definitely the best playmaker, but the best, the best all-around receiver to me still on that team is Devontae Smith. He's the best possession receiver. He's the one that you can rely on to get open and – and uh, you know he makes so many tough catches. I mean, just as far as route running and catching, you know, you know, in tough coverage. I mean, he's he's impressive. And and then John Mechie. I mean, you can't forget about him either. I mean, he's going to step up and get a lot more you know looks now that Waddle's gone. And I mean, it's it's Alabama. It's just next man up. I mean, I mean, I know losing Waddle's tough. It's it's not as tough for Alabama now. If you put Jalen Waddle on a team like you know Kentucky or Texas A and M, I mean, it would be a significant loss, but. Since it's Alabama, I can't say that it's that significant. Well, um, obviously,
1: Tennessee and South Carolina are both off this week. Do you want to give any thoughts on those two?
2: Sure. I mean, we can start off with uh, South Carolina. I mean, Colin Hill has been, you know, inconsistent. But I do think the South Carolina team does look better than last year's team. I mean, I do think – you can definitely see the strides that they're making. Uh, Their defense, especially along the defensive line, is undersized. But they play hard, and, you know, I can't fault them at all. Uh, But I really like – i mean i think south carolina's gonna have a chance to uh maybe get close to 500 this year and do better than i expected i mean i have picked them to go two and eight in the preseason and i believe that uh they're probably gonna end up finishing with a four and six record which is a lot better than i expected now as for tennessee i mean they're probably about one game difference than what i expected you know at two and three i thought they'd probably be three and two at this point and it, it all goes down to that uh, horrendous performance against kentucky i mean tennessee came out uh, completely flat in that game. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd say flat. I think the team just pretty much just quit in that game when Garantano threw two back-to-back pick sixes, two back-to-back pick sixes on back-to-back possessions, that really just killed the morale of that team. And then they stumbled into the Alabama game the following weekend and just you know played heartless. You know, and and for most of that game because Garantano was a starter. I don't know what it is about the team, but I think when Garantano was in at quarterback. It just completely kills the morale of the rest of the team. Uh, the offense doesn't perform, up, you perform as well. The defense doesn't play as hard. And I don't know what that stems down to. If the team doesn't believe in Garantano, if there's a rift. But uh, there, there's definitely some issues on Rocky Top. I mean, the, the team isn't shouldn't be as bad as they are. And it all stems down to quarterback play. And right now, the quarterback's in Knoxville. whoever is in the game is not getting the job done. And maybe one of their younger stars like Harrison Bailey or Maurer can step up. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's hope so. I mean, I, <clears throat> I kind of feel the same way about,
1: you know, Garantano as I do about, you know, Mississippi State the last few years. It's just like, you know, you feel bad that, like, the dude playing is, like, playing so bad, and you're like, well, surely the backup can't be worse. But then the fact that they won't put the backup in makes you think, like, man, how bad must this dude be? Like, yeah. if you can't even get reps right now. That's what's happening. Yeah, so I, I, I do, you know, I think the jury is definitely still out on the on the freshman. Um, you know, without having spring practice and stuff like that, I mean, it's kind of hard to ask.
2: Yeah, to he's just only go in, so. he's only thrown two passes the entire season. Uh, one one completion that was like thirty yards down the field, and then another one that was just you know, uh, miscommunication. didn't you know, he hasn't really had hardly any snaps, and and you can't I, you can't even write him off. And I, I honestly think he's not playing because he hasn't had enough practice.
1: Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. All right, so uh, that's kind of like our um, state of the SEC, I guess, right now. So we'll just go ahead and get into the games. Um, we kind of already previewed all of them a little bit, uh, at least the ones that are worth previewing. Um, so we'll just go ahead and we'll just go with the spreads. Um, we'll just go right down the list. Um, we'll just start with the Georgia-Kentucky game. Uh, Georgia's 17-point favorite. Uh, who
2: you got? I got Georgia minus 17.
1: Yeah, I got Georgia minus 17 as well. I think it's um, – I want to say it's, like, easy, but, um, you know, just like I said – Kentucky really hasn't played that well against Georgia the last few years. And, um, you know, I just don't know how Kentucky is going to move the ball. Like, yeah, I mean, either I think that Kentucky, like, honestly, I could see Georgia winning this game like 21 to nothing or something like that, you know, or 19 to nothing. I mean, nothing I'll be here. surprised
2: if Kentucky scores. And the only way they're going to score is if their defense makes a big play and then they go three and out and then get a field goal. <laughs> I mean, that's really the only way I see Kentucky scoring. All right,
1: and then we will, we're will. just going to do this in order of when they happen. So uh, the 2-3 game, LSU-Auburn.
2: Um, LSU's a three-point favorite. Um, who you got in this one? You know, a lot of people are picking Auburn to not just cover but win, but I, I disagree with the, most of those people. I'm going with LSU minus three. I think LSU, you know, has got some momentum. Auburn is a lot worse than their record indicates a three and two. I think LSU is going to get better as the season goes on. I, go, I like LSU in this one.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, LSU to cover the three point spread as well. Um I just think that you know neither team has really played all that great this year, but um they've both been really disappointing. But uh, you know, that being said, I I just feel a little bit more confident in LSU right now. I think Auburn has been incredibly lucky so far this season, to say the least. Um so I'm gonna go with Auburn. I think their luck kinda goes back the other way, finally. And then uh, moving on to Ole Miss Vanderbilt, uh, big line in this one. Ole Miss is a 16 and a half point favorite, um, on the road at,
2: at Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's actually really tough for me because, uh, you know, can Vanderbilt score on Ole Miss's bad defense? I actually believe that, uh, I will take a bad offense, I think, over a bad defense. And I I think that Vanderbilt's still going to get some points on Ole Miss, but I think Ole Miss is still going to be able to cover the 16 and a half, but not that much. Yeah.
1: I'm actually going to take Vanderbilt to cover the spread on this one. Um, you know, almost defense is really bad. Vanderbilt's offense is really bad. So that's that'll be an interesting matchup, uh, definitely. Um, you know, and also wouldn't be surprised if Corral, you know, had a couple couple miscues in this one that keeps uh, Vanderbilt in it. So I, I still like almost to win the game, but I'm going to go with uh, Vanderbilt to cover the spread. Um, and then the six o'clock game, Mississippi State at Alabama. Um, 30 and a half points is where it sits right now. Um, are you taking Alabama?
2: You're going to be surprised here, but I'm going to take uh, State to cover the 30-and-a-half-point line. And uh, the reason why is because Saban's just not known to run up scores. And I think State's defense is going to uh, make some plays, you know, keep Alabama from scoring as much. But another point is that I think that State's going to be able to get into double digits in the, on the scoreboard. And I actually believe that uh, State's going to be able to make this cover here. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm going to take State to cover as well. Just, I mean, that's just so many points to give. And, you know, Saban isn't really one to run up the score, like you said. Um, so uh, I'll take state, you know, not necessarily close, but within 30 and a half points. Um, all right. And then Arkansas takes the same name. We talked about this one earlier, uh, 12 point line. Uh, but this has been historically a, a close game in this rivalry the last few years. It has.
2: And I am really surprised by this line. I mean, I, I respect both of these teams a lot. I really like how both teams have, you know, have looked these last couple of weeks, but, I mean, that it feels really disrespectful to Arkansas to be a 12-point underdog considering how well they've looked, you know, these last couple weeks. I mean, Arkansas should be a 3-1 and team. I like uh, Arkansas to cover this. I'm, I'm picking A&M to win, but Arkansas is going to cover this 12-point spread.
1: Yeah, I'm actually right there with you. Um, it, it's just, I mean, even Texas A&M, um, you know, this year when they've played well hasn't you know dominated the other team they didn't really dominate Vanderbilt they didn't dominate Mississippi State they didn't they definitely didn't dominate Florida um so I I think that I don't know if they're quite on that level where you can just kind of pick them to like blow teams out I do think they're gonna win but um you know definitely wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Arkansas kept this one close and and I expect them to keep it within the 12 points um all right and then last game we got or last SEC game we have uh, Missouri at Florida. Florida's a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. But Missouri has kind of you know, turned things around a little bit, so where, where do you see this one?
2: You know, this would be, a, I don't know if I would call it a bold pick. I mean, I guess Alex would say it's not bold, but I like Missouri to uh, cover Florida here. I mean, Missouri's riding a wave of momentum. You know, two consecutive wins after an 0-2 start. Uh, they're really playing better ever since they made the quarterback change going to Bazalocke. And, you know, Florida's gone on a three-week layover. So, I mean, I, I think that Florida's going to come into this game a little bit rusty. And Missouri's had some success in the Swamp the last few times they visited there. I'm not going to say that they're going to win, but I like Missouri to uh, cover this 12-and-a-half point spread. Yeah. All right,
1: so let's see. Where's, I guess the biggest – we'll just do the biggest national game first, um, Ohio State-Penn State. Penn State. Um, you know, this has also been a series that's been pretty close the last few years. Um Penn State does have the the one win. Uh but there there's a couple other really close games where um Penn State played really well and Ohio State was just able to pull it out at the end. Um Ohio State twelve and a half points. Is that is that too much? Is that right? What do you got? I think
2: that's just about right. I mean let, let's face it, I mean Ohio State's a juggernaut compared to the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, they're on a completely different level from any other Big Ten team. Penn State, I mean Penn State might be the Penn State, Wisconsin oh sorry, Penn State and Michigan probably be the closest in terms of talent but they haven't they don't have it all put together like Ohio State has. Ohio State, there's a reason they're number 3 in the country. Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama are on another level as far as like, you know, teams are concerned this year. Ohio State is going to go into a happy valley and I think they're going to cover the spread too.
1: Yeah, disappointing loss for Penn State last week um against Indiana It was um a fun game to watch. I wish I could have watched it, but Unfortunately, I didn't tell us I told you, but I did not tell a story earlier. I was actually at a bar in New Orleans, um and they that was at the end of that game was right as the South Carolina LSU game was starting and they decided to change every single TV in the bar, including ones that were right next to each other, to the LSU game. So I did not get to see the end of the Indiana Penn State game that was Man, what a bummer. but I did get to see everyone freak out about it on Twitter and I had to kind of piece it together and wait for someone to post a video. Um, but I did finally get to see it. So, um, But that being said, um, tough loss for Penn State last week. Uh, but I think they cover the spread. Um, you know, Ohio State's defense didn't really play that well last week. Um, they are susceptible to running quarterbacks. Sean Clifford, not the you know the best threat quarterback in the world, but he can move around a little bit. So um, I think uh, you'll see some design runs from the Penn State offense this week for the quarterback. And um, I think they're going to keep it close. I think Ohio State's going to win just because they always seem to find a way to beat Penn State. But. Um, I do think I'm going to go with Penn State to cover the spread.
2: Uh, were there any other national games you wanted to pick? Yeah, I mean, there's one or two. I mean, we could start off with uh, Memphis-Cincinnati. I mean, we don't have to touch base on this too much. But, I mean, this is a really good American conference matchup. Uh, you know, I think going into this win, Cincinnati is a three-and-a-half point favorite. So, it's relatively close. Uh, ESPN-FBI gives uh, Cincinnati a 61.8%, 61.8% chance to win. But when you look at this look at this game, I mean Memphis is, is better on offense than Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's defense is miles ahead of Memphis' defense. And I think that Cincinnati's gonna be able to score enough on Memphis and uh you know, make make enough stops on defense that I think that Cincinnati is, is going to be able to cover the spread. And actually the spread's six and a half. But I am gonna go with Cincinnati to cover the spread. I think they win by around eight to ten points.
1: Yeah, and the spread that I'm showing is actually six and a half for Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, I'm actually, unfortunately, going to have to go Cincinnati as well. Um, they're just a more complete team. Memphis' defense has been very bad this year. Um, so, uh, you know, and then not to mention uh, Memphis. Uh, it was last year, right, that Memphis beat Cincinnati in back-to-back games? It
2: was, and both of those games were close and competitive the entire way through. But Cincinnati is just a way more balanced team than Memphis is. And Memphis lost a lot of playmakers, you know, from last year's game. And and also you gotta remember, Memphis's defense was way better last year than it is this year. Cincinnati's defense I think is even better than last year, and I think their offense is just as good, maybe a little bit better. I mean I just think all around, you know, comparing last year to this year, Cincinnati is just the better team and they're at home and I like Cincinnati in this one. Um let's see, do you wanna pick Texas Oklahoma State or Yeah, we can go ahead and do that. That was the other game I was looking at, uh I mean, this is a chance for, I guess you can call a signature win for Oklahoma State to uh, beat Texas. And, I mean, it's funny. Like, Oklahoma State's 4-0. I mean, they looked, you know, okay at times and not so great at times. But, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go with Oklahoma State to uh, cover their spread and get a signature win. And yeah. then put Tom Herman on the hot seat. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the thing
1: with Gundy is like, or the thing with Oklahoma State and Gundy is uh you know that it's been more with defense this year usually they're like a really good offensive team their offense has been kind of lackluster so far this year but they are they are 4-0 um and uh you know looking for a big one this weekend but i mean i just oklahoma state like it always feels like fool's gold especially like when you know that oklahoma games come in they they always lose that game like, every single year. I hate get, I always want to get excited for Oklahoma State, but then they, they always, like, lose some game, and then they're going to lose to Oklahoma. Like,
2: that's right, and that's the sad part is that Oklahoma State, you know, they won a big win at home last week against Iowa State. They got Texas this week, but still they're going to have to play Oklahoma, you know, in a few weeks uh, in Norman. And, and I think Oklahoma, you know, they lost two games, but, I mean, if you look at the rest of Oklahoma's schedule, I mean, I honestly think they can run the table the rest of the way. So if you're Oklahoma State, you just need to win this game against Texas. And try to win as many as you can. So maybe you can get you know, two chances to beat Oklahoma. Because I can actually see at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, Big 12 Championship this year. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there.
1: Um, unless you got anything else you want to add?
2: I do not. I'm excited for Halloween this Saturday, though.
1: Yeah, I think we all are. Um, Nick one needs something? Nick Saban's birthday.
2: Yeah, and also, fun fact Mike Leach and Nick Saban meet him for the first time ever as head coaches.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It was kind of funny to hear Mike Leach talk, or hear Nick Saban talk about uh, Mike Leach. Um, he's talking about the Air Raid offense, and he's like, he basically said, "I have no idea how it works, but it does."
2: Yeah, and then the same aspect is that Nick Saban's coaching for the second time his career on his birthday. I think he maybe had mentioned that.
1: Yeah. So, um, went a little bit longer than we wanted to. That's typically how it goes. But um, you know, we're glad to uh, to be back with you guys. Um, sorry for the for the hiatus. Um, you know, just like I said,
2: and the just, dogs.
1: Yeah, uh, I hope y'all didn't hear too much of the dogs in the background. I'm sure y'all probably did. It's they are authentic. Uh, they they sleep a lot during the day, but um,
2: anytime we record, they just want to go crazy. Yeah,
1: they just uh, they get all excited. They want to be you know heard as well. Um, So maybe they're Make their
2: barks heard. Yeah, maybe
1: they're talking about like dog food, and they're in dog language so that the dogs at home in your home can. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I
2: don't know. I don't know what I was going <laughs> to.
1: But uh, that being said, uh, we'll just go ahead and wrap it up, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you all on Sunday. Peace.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.